TII item 290, December 7th, 2013. Siri is a Flyer fan. Welcome to Today in iPhone. Yeah, I like it a lot. Today in iPhone. Hey, Gullah! Oh, yeah! My beautiful iPhone, which I never have out of my hand and that I do everything with and has become an extension of whom I am. Today's episode is brought to you by SquareTrade. Go to squaretrade.com slash TII2 to get your iPad warranty for just $89 or Go to squaretrade.com slash TII for your $94 iPhone warranty. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Rob, and this is Today in iOS podcast. First up, I want to thank Ben for sending in the artwork for today's show. Ben wrote, Hi, Rob. I made this by building the TII out of Legos, then taking the picture on my iPhone 4 and adding the text with the Doodle Buddy app. Regards, Ben. Ben, thanks again for sending in this artwork. And you can see Ben's artwork in the TI app in the extras for episode 290, or if you subscribe via iTunes on your computer as the album artwork, and also as a standalone post in the VIP section and at facebook.com slash todayinios. If you have some artwork and or music you have created on your iOS device that you would like to share with the audience, please email to me at todayinios at gmail.com. Please make sure to include which app or apps you use create said artwork and or music. And I really need some more music, as I don't have any for the next episode. In this segment of How Wrong Were They, we have the following quote. Quote, Siri could signal the beginning of the end for Apple. First, the obvious. When you ask Siri for something, it inevitably sends you to Google. Second, even Siri itself is not truly an Apple product. Probably most importantly, with Apple's paltry R&D budget, it is unlikely that they will be able to compete beyond interfaces and devices, and with the launch of Samsung's Galaxy S4, even their position there seems to be eroding." Unquote. Greg Sattel, Forbes, 26th, March, 2013. I wish I had a paltry $4.5 billion for my R&D budget, which is what Apple was spending in 2013, up from 32%, from the year before that, and up over 87% from 2011. Oh, and now Siri sends you to Bing. Just saying. For promo codes, on episode 289, we gave out chances to win promo codes for the app PipeWords, which have all been given away. If you want more info on that app, go back and listen to the beginning of episode 289. This week, we have promo codes for a couple apps. First app is Week Calendar. Surprisingly, two words. Uh, we here is the review from the dev. Hi all, this is Stephen from WeCalendar and I want to bring you some good news. We've just released a brand new version of our successful iPhone calendar app WeCalendar. With this new version, we provide iOS calendar users with a new design that has been totally adapted to iOS 7 and we provide you with some of the following cool new features. With autocomplete, you can now simply fill in a word that you already use and it will autocomplete the event details. Events with locations will now show a travel time and if you don't have time enough to make it to the next event, the travel time color will be changed to red. With airdrop support, you can now simply share your events with others. And last but not least, we've also added a black theme to the app that will give you a calm feeling on your eyes. 
Together with the already highly praised features like adding, repeating, moving, tap and hold, drag and copy and paste events, the calendar store where you can subscribe to calendars and lots of other features, we've created the best calendar experience for you guys and we hope you will enjoy it. WeCalendar is available in the app store for only $1.99. Check it out on WeCal.com. Thanks to Stefan over at WeCal.com, that's W-E-E-K-C-A-L.com for his review of his app, Week Calendar, two words, and for sending in the promo codes to give away. Folks, if you would like a chance for a promo code for Week Calendar, send an email to todayinios at gmail.com and put Week Calendar two words in the subject line. The second app we have promo codes for is the app Cardio Surprise. One word, not surprisingly. Here is the review from the dev. Hi, Rob. My name is Nancy Mancini and I'm the developer of a new fitness app called Cardio Surprise. Thank you for having me on the show. Cardio Surprise is the perfect app to use with cardio workouts that can be monotonous, such as running on the treadmill or using an elliptical machine. It can also be used outdoors in a location such as a running trail or outdoor track. The app makes cardio workouts more fun and more effective by shuffling in 60-second strength and conditioning circuits at either random or pre-selected intervals throughout your workout. In addition to getting a great cardio workout, these circuits give the user the opportunity to cross-train multiple areas, such as abs, back, arms, chest, shoulders, legs, butt, and even flexibility. Cardio Surprise is only 99 cents, and it's available now in the App Store. Thanks to Nancy for her review of her app, Cardio Surprise, and for sending in the promo codes to give away. Folks, if you would like a chance for a promo code for this app, send an email to todayinios at gmail.com and put cardio in the subject line. As always, just send in one email for one specific app. If you send in multiple emails or ask for multiple apps in a single email, then well, no soup for you. A quick reminder, if you're an app dev, email me if you want your app featured in the promo giveaway segment. We just need the five promo codes or more to give away. Simply email me at todayinios at gmail.com and please include a 60-second or less audio review of your app indicating you are the dev. And when you send in the promo codes, please, please, please make sure to let me know when they expire. And I also recently had someone who has an iBook in the App Store or an iTunes Store ask if they could be featured in this segment. Absolutely. This is the promo giveaway segment. It's not just the app giveaway segment. So if you have something that's in iTunes where you have promo codes that you can give away and whatever you have can download to an iOS device, it's fair game. So if you have an iBook that you would like to give away promo codes to, would love to get them from you as well. Again, today in iOS at gmail.com. Siri, who's your favorite college basketball team? I always like to root for the underdog. I guess that makes me a fan of Dayton right now. And if you know me, you know I've been waiting a long, long time to do that. Go Flyers! One thing you probably know if you've listened to this show for a while is that we love artwork created on iOS devices around here. And now there is an amazing artwork created on an iPad with just a finger and the app Procreate. It looks like a photo of Morgan Freeman. It is that detailed and vivid, but it's really a painting created on an iPad with just the artist's finger. There is a video on YouTube showing the progression of the creation, which took the artist, Kyle Lambert, over 200 plus hours to create. 
look for the link in the show notes for episode 290 titled iPad Art, Morgan Freeman, YouTube. Really, this is an amazing piece of artwork. And you would be hard-pressed looking at the finished product to tell that it's not a picture. It really, really, really is that good. Into the email bag we go. Hi, Rob. I'm on iOS 7.1 Beta 1, and I am noticing a lot smoother app switching and keyboard is less laggy. Also, Siri seems faster to respond. I wish they put flight tracking on Siri like Google now has. One bug is my app store is showing two updates as a badge, but nothing new to update. Regards, Dev. Hi, Rob. I saw a commercial yesterday where the couple was trying to make their Thanksgiving meal and accidentally broke their oven door. They asked uh, their Google tablet, can you barbecue a turkey? And proceeded to cook the turkey in their barbecue grill. I decided to do the same query with Siri on my iPhone. I thought the response was a bit amusing. Regards, Myron. And he sent a screenshot. Essentially, if you ask Siri, quote, can you barbecue a turkey? Unquote. It comes back with, quote, I found three barbecue restaurants in Turkey, unquote. And I got the same results when I did it. Oh, well, but at least she knows what basketball team to root for. Black Friday online sales numbers are coming out, and shocker, iOS kicked Android's butt again. These are based on U.S. numbers gathered by IBM and Adobe. What they found was, on average, iOS users spent $127.92 per order on Black Friday compared to just $105.20 per order for Android users. Okay, that number is not butt-kicking, but these others are. iOS traffic reached 28.2% of all online traffic compared to 11.4% for Android. Iowa sales reached 18.1% of all online sales compared to 3.5% for Android. That is an over 5x ratio of Iowa sales to Android sales. These numbers are not counting online sales to Apple.com or via the Apple Store app. No mention if they count Amazon either. I am sure more and more numbers will come out in the future. But based on these, once again, iOS users are actually consumers, whereas Android users, not so much. When iOS users were not out buying other things with their iOS devices, they were out buying more iOS devices, which I am to assume they will then use to buy even more other things. Info Scout looked at the top selling items at Target on Black Friday, and shocker! iPads were at the top of the list. InfoScout's results are based on surveys of 3,000 plus shoppers at Target on Thanksgiving and Black Friday. And what they found was the number one item purchased at Target with 8.2% of Target sales was the iPad Air 16 gig Wi-Fi. Number two, with 7.5% of sales was the iPad mini 16 gig Wi-Fi. And taking the bronze in third place was the iPad Air 32 gig Wi-Fi with 2.4% of sales. Number four was Beats headphones at 2.4% as well. Nothing else was over 2%. The iPad 2 16 gig, surprisingly, was in eighth place with 1.4%. The only other tablet in the list was the Nook at 11th place with 1.1%. So iPads were combined at 19.5% of purchases. Wow. Well, except when you get 
to InfoScout's next reveal, and that is 40% of those 19.5% of iPad buyers, yeah, they were Android users. You heard me right. 40% of those buying an iPad on Black Friday weekend were Android users. Double wow. Over at Target's rival Walmart, they reported sales of over 1.4 million tablets on Thanksgiving evening alone. Most of that was for the $299 iPad mini first gen that you got a $100 Walmart gift card with when you purchased it, essentially bringing the price down to $199. How do we know that? Well, back to the folks from InfoScout. They had the iPad mini selling 13 times more units than the $99 Nabi tablet, which was the other Thanksgiving night special. That makes the numbers pretty simple. 1.3 million iPad minis sold versus 100,000 Nabi sold. And that is better than what I saw in line at the Walmart I was at, where there was one person in line for the Nabi and well over 50 for the iPad mini. I remember thinking when I looked at that one person in line, wow, you're the dad giving the action Jackson this year. So sad. Anyway, overall, there are going to be about 100,000 kids that get a Navi tablet this year, and in the back or front of their minds, they're going to think, when I'm a parent, I will never do this to my kids. And there is some updated data from Fixu. They were the ones mentioned recently on the show when they looked at iPad usage by version after launches, and what they found initially was the iPad Air was, well, outpacing the iPad 4 launch. And, well, nothing has changed there. With the iPad Air now 35-plus days out from launch, is more than doubling what they saw for usage of the iPad 4 35 days after it launched. The iPad Mini Retina is, at this point, just a tad bit ahead of where the iPad Mini was when it launched. So the Retina is just a little bit ahead of the Mini. So at least now, it's definitely looking like an iPad Christmas, especially when you factor in that 1.3 million iPad minis that were sold at Walmart in one hour. Yeah, they were last year's version of the iPad mini. That's a lot of good news. So what did all this good news do to Apple stock? Well, shockingly, no, really, I mean it. Shockingly, it drove the stock price up. Seems fundamentals and real good news is starting to win out on Wall Street again. Apple shares are now in the black for the year. All those that purchased some Apple stock the last time it dipped below 400, raise your hand. Yes, my hand is up. And kudos to you if your hand is up as well. Apple stock ended the week at $560 a share. Also, Apple seems to have tackled some inventory issues recently, and lead times are dropping. Right now for the iPhone 5S, all versions are listing at one to three day deliveries. That is the first time they have reached that level for all models. So Apple is seeing increased demand for product and increased inventory to quench the thirst of their customers. Seems to be a good combo. And a storyline starting to win out over the negativity of Android fanboys. Hi Rob, Johnny Appleseed here in Cincinnati, Ohio. I got my iPad mini Retina display with 32 gig Wi-Fi model at the Cincinnati Apple Store last Thursday. The interesting thing was that you were not able to walk into the store and purchase it and walk out. I had to order it online in the store and come back two hours later to pick it up. A little bit different way of doing things for Apple. Thanks. Regards. 
Go Flyers. Johnny, thanks for the email. Well, my wife's iPad finally made it out of Alaska and to our house on November 25th, which is one key reason for no episode last week. Well, that and it was Thanksgiving and my birthday and there was three Dayton Flyer games on ESPN. And well, did I mention I had a new iPad mini retina to play with. So my thoughts on this, wow, is it slim and beautiful and slim. Actually, for me, it's too small and thin without a case. And personally, I like the size of the iPad Air better. But hey, it was not for me. It was for my wife, and her opinion is different. She really likes the size. And she is taking it with her to wait in line for the kids or go out and about. She never took out the other iPad with her. Granted, the other one did not have cellular, so yeah, there's that small detail. Speaking of cellular, setting up the free 200 megabyte a month with T-Mobile was super simple. I cannot recommend the T-Mobile version strong enough if you are in the US. That said, they're all really the same version, just with different SIM cards. So if you didn't get the T-Mobile version, just go to a T-Mobile store and get a SIM card for it. In the first week, she used less than 10% of her 200 megabyte allocation. What I basically did, well, well, not basically, what I did did or actually did or something like that. Well, I set up her device when on cellular to only allow email and Safari. And that is all she needs and wants. On top of that, I set up email to not load images automatically. So now she has free cellular for her email and browsing needs and is nowhere even close to going over her allocation for the month. She loves the speed of it. Going from a third gen iPad to the mini retina is a two processor jump and it is really noticeable on websites. I did get all her photos on there and I mean all as in over 15,000 plus photos. And she, well, is costing me a small fortune in printer ink, printing out pictures to go into Christmas cards. I decided uh, to set up from scratch and found most of her info synced over from iCloud for calendars and the like with no issues. And setting up emails was great. I set up the email from scratch and the folders that were set up previously came over, which was nice. I have to say the setup and speed of the mini reminded me again of why I love the iOS ecosystem. Granted, my next iPad for me will be a larger one to go with my larger hands, like the iPad Pro, if that ever comes to be. My wife did comment to me that she felt the mini was just too thin, and she felt scared holding it initially, afraid it was going to drop and break at any second. I did get the Square Trade warranty on it, and that made her feel a lot better. But we also got a cheap case for it until some of the others I have coming in to test get here. And we are keeping the kids away from it. Speaking of Gora Trade, this is a good time to mention they are sponsoring this show. They are who I have purchased my warranties for my iPhone 5S and now my iPad Mini Retina. And you can get a warranty for your iOS device too with a discount for being a TII listener. Which, folks, if you go to squaretrade.com slash TII2, that's slash TII and the number two, you'll get a two-year iPad warranty for just $89. That's a savings of $35 off the normal price for being a TII listener. Or if you need a warranty for a recently purchased iPhone, go to squaretrade.com slash TII, and that is $94 for a two-year iPhone warranty. 
or do like I did and get them both. With Square Trade, they will cover you if you jailbreak, which Apple will not. So if you are even remotely thinking of jailbreaking, that is one good reason to look at Square Trade. And well, here is an email from one of the listeners. Hi Rob, I just finally received my gold iPhone 5S 64 gig. I debated the warranty you have been recommending versus Apple Care. Apple is always taking amazing care of me when there has been an issue, so it was a tough debate until I read the Square Trade warranty, info, and flexibility, and then looked at the discount you are offering us. I now have only one complaint on your advice. Your discount lowers the three-year warranty to close to Apple's two-year coverage. I always give my last phone to my wife and kids, and now when I upgrade in two years, I will still have one more year under warranty at a great price. Thanks so much for giving us a discount. By the way, my phone arrived past the 30 days from the time of the order that Square Trade requires. I contacted them, and they accepted my shipping invoice as documentation with no issues and issued the warranty. Very fast response. Regards, Jeff Tucker. Thanks, Jeff. And good point on the three-year period. For three years on the iPad warranty, it is just $119. Again, click through to see the real discount. And the URL is squaretrade.com slash TII for the iPhone and slash TII2, that's TII and the number two, for iPad warranties. Thanks, Square Trade, for sponsoring this show. Hi, this is Ken. I really enjoy your show. I just finished listening to the latest podcast and uh, heard the question about how to share iTunes gift points from one account to another. And the way I've done it with my kids is the easy way of just gifting an app from the device you want to use up the, the credits on. So you go in to the iTunes account, find the app you want to share, go ahead and instead of purchasing it, purchase it as a gift, assign it to the email address that is the device you want to receive it, and off it goes. Spent the account, you can close it down when you're done. Thanks, and really enjoy the show. Ken, thanks for that feedback. Into the email bag we go. Hey Rob, my favorite holiday app of all time, Zen of Snow. It's absolutely peaceful and relaxing. A serene cabin setting in the snow-covered mountains with some colorfully lit Christmas trees outside. Gorgeous. Regards, Jeff T. Hi Rob, per the listener's request for a question mark on the first screen, the app IA Writer, one word, is a note-taking app, has punctuation marks, including the question mark on the first screen. Regards, Jesse D. Hi, Rob. I use an app called IA Writer, and they add the question mark right above the main keyboard. There's also arrow keys and some punctuation. It's a great app, syncs with Dropbox, and has a folder set up for files. Regards, Dan B. Dan and Jesse, thank you for the recommendation of IA Writer. Back to the email bag on this. Hey Rob, one of your listeners had asked about a keyboard with a question mark on the first screen. I type lots of notes on my iPhone and also found it somewhat annoying that all the punctuation is on the second screen. I just bought a Bluetooth keyboard. Since I still needed it to be super portable, I ended up using the Celon, C-E-L-L-U-O-N, Epic, and love it. No more pointless screen swapping to get to the punctuation. Regards, Dan P. from Orangeville. Dan, thanks for that feedback. Hi, Rob. A gentleman on episode 288 was looking for a way to back up custom ringtones on his computer. 
The Mac apps iPhone Explorer or Disk Aid should allow him to copy these on any or any other files to his computer for backup. Regards, Brent. Hey Rob, before I switched to T-Mobile and when I was having problems with the never deleting all or some of my AT&T voicemails, I was told by an Apple genius to call AT&T and ask them to reprovision my voicemail. I did not want to do that until I made a record of whatever important voicemails were there. I had been thinking of switching to T-Mobile and made the switch before I ever took the reprovision step with AT&T. The genius was told me specifically to use the word reprovision. So you might want to try that with those zombie voicemails. Regards, Scott in Milwaukee. Hi, Rob. It's Ron calling from Pennsylvania again. There's a call on the last episode as well that mentioned the location services error randomly appearing uh, up in the status bar when they use their device, specifically after Siri. Uh, and you had stated that you had seen it using other random apps as well. I have noticed this when I have the system services frequent location feature turned on in iOS 7. And when I disabled this, it seems to take care of it. I'm not exactly sure if it's what that other caller is experiencing as well. However, when I have noticed the arrow appear randomly uh, throughout my use on the device, I have had the frequent location slash improve maps feature turned on in the system services feature on the phone under settings. I'm not sure that's what it is, but hopefully that helps clear that up a little bit. Thanks. Bye. Hello, Rob. This is Justin from Pennsylvania. I'm calling uh, in response to the guy who called about the Siri in the in the um, location services arrow staying on. I think what that is is frequent locations. It's a sort of um, I'm sure. I think you probably even covered it in your show. Um, when you have that on, it uh, it just It'll tell you how many times you stopped at your house, where you go to work. Like it, it's it's. I think it's sort of like the precursor to what like a Google Now is, but Apple hasn't done anything with it really, other than I'll notice sometimes it'll tell me if I have in my calendar when I have work. It'll say it'll take you 28 minutes to get to work if you leave now. That kind of stuff. Like it does do a little bit of that when in uh, when you pull down the notification center. I have had I have seen that. And I'm pretty sure what you guys are talking about is about the frequent locations. And, and I, have, I, don't, I haven't seen a big hit to my battery, but I'm also seeing a very similar thing here. And uh, I, I don't think it's actually draining as much battery as that when you used to see that before, you see a real bad hit to your battery. So I think that's what that is. So um, if anyone else has a better idea, I, I would think so. But you guys have a great one, and um, I really appreciate the show. Thanks. Bye. Ron and Justin, thank you both for your feedback. And that does appear to be what it is. To go get this and turn it off, go to Settings app, then Privacy, Location Services, scroll all the way down, System Service, then Turn Off Frequent Locations. Yeah, that one's kind of hidden. That is another one to select also to turn off when you're trying to save on battery life. Thanks to all that sent that one in. Hi, Rob. This is Bob from Milford, Connecticut. I'm just calling about a problem that I just got fixed from the Apple Store. My 5S went into a loop of the spinning gear for about a minute to the solid blue screen for a few seconds and then back to the Apple logo while it was charging. And it just kept doing that over and over again. And I couldn't get into the phone. I couldn't do a hard reboot. 
I couldn't figure out how to fix it. I ended up taking it to the Apple store. They put the phone into DFU mode and did a full restore on the phone from an iCloud backup, and that seemed to fix the problem. So if anybody else is having that problem, putting it into DFU mode was the solution that worked for me for my phone from the Apple store. They didn't describe what was causing the problem or give me any clues as to why that happened, but that was a fix. And if anybody knows how to go into DFU mode, that's a great way to fix it. Thanks for everything you do, Rob. Bye-bye. I want to send a quick shout out to the 200 plus folks already in the Google plus community. If you go to today slash community, it will take you to the page and click, uh, or you, you can click on the little Google plus icon in the upper right of today site. If you want to get there as well, again, today slash community is the easiest way to get there. Thanks to all that have been posting, quite a few since the last episode, including ones about Black Friday deals. Thanks for those. There are some posts about what podcasts people are listening to and what apps they are using to listen to them, plus breaking news, links, and more, including even a comic or two. Again, thanks to all that have signed up and also those that are contributing. Today in iOS.com slash community. It is a safe Google Plus community for iOS fans. No Android fanboys. If you are an Android fanboy, you get booted. No soup for you. Thanks to Ben K for the heads up on this next one. And that is the AP is reporting that APPL will be launching iBeacons in their 254 US stores this weekend. Apple is supposed to also be launching an over-the-air update to its Apple Store app to support iBeacon Receiver. This all was supposed to happen starting on Friday the 6th, but as of close to midnight, the App Store app is still not showing an update available. Apple supposedly demoed iBeacons to the AP this past week. Quote, The company demonstrated the technology to the Associated Press this week at its busy 24-hour Fifth Avenue store in New York City. At this particular store, Apple has installed about 20 iBeacon transmitters, some of which are simply iPhones and iPads, which come with capability as part of iOS 7 mobile software released in September. The transmitters use Bluetooth wireless technology to sense your exact location. That's not possible with GPS, which does not work that well indoors and isn't good at distinguishing between locations that are just a few feet apart, unquote. What does this mean to you in real world? Probably not a lot to start. Apple will get better tracking data on where you went in the store, but I doubt when you walk by an iPad Air, you'll get a push that says, quote, stop, look to your left, buy me, you know you want to, come on, pull out that plastic and let's go home together, unquote. I mean, I guess Apple could do that, kind of be creepy, and I don't really know if they need to do it anyway. iBeacons works with iOS devices running iOS 7, but not the iPhone 4 or the iPad 2 second or iPad second gen, but all other iOS devices running iOS 7, it works fine with. And well, Apple has put out the following about this. Quote, Apple has rolled out iBeacon technology at its 254 Apple stores in the U.S., enabling shoppers to receive iPhone notifications about products and services via the Apple Store app, 
As the Associated Press reports, iBeacon transmitters use Bluetooth wireless technology to sense a shopper's exact location inside an Apple store and send messages based on the aisle or product a user is near. For example, customers walking by an iPhone table could receive messages offering to help them check their update availability or see if they can get money for trading in an old iPhone. iBeacon technology is moving into other venues as well. The AP reports that Major League Baseball plans to use it next year to offer features like coupons and videos based on a user's location in a ballpark. Read more at abcnews.com or .go.com. Unquote. So there you go. It's official. And NFC just got a little nail in its coffin when it comes to iOS products. It's safe to say I can now remove NFC from all future bingo cards. And yes, before you send emails saying it sounds a little creepy for Apple to send you a message saying, hey, you can go ahead and get X amount of dollars for your iPhone if you trade it in now and get a new one. I agree. Hopefully just because Apple can do some things doesn't mean they will do some things. Thanks to Erica Murphy for the heads up on this one, which is Apple acquired Topsy. No, not the popcorn company here in Kansas City. We're talking Topsy, the social media search and analytics company. So why did Apple make this $200 million acquisition? Well, it was not just to piss off Carl, give me your 146 billion icon. No, but it could be about Apple wanting to get more real-time social media feedback for their iTunes radio slash iAds platform and also get that feedback for and if and when they launch an Apple TV, full-on Apple TV, that is. Or as Erica Murphy speculates at the end of her article, um, maybe Apple just wanted their engineering team and maybe even some of their patents. Topsy, by the way, is uh, one of the early partners with Twitter, and they have what is known as a firehose access to Twitter, which means they get all the tweets, which they then go through and chart and track trends. Who knows? Maybe Apple is making the acquisition in hopes of resurrecting Ping. Or not. In the rumor, but almost definitely a done deal, front comes a report this past week that Apple and China Mobile have finally signed a deal and iOS devices will finally roll out on China Mobile on December 18th. This also helped in pushing Apple stock price up a little bit this past week. At this point, no real details to speak of, so just about the deal being done and then when it kicks off. One thing analysts are stating is that Apple's current guidance numbers do not include China Mobile deal. Granted, Apple had guidance out there for this quarter, and this would impact about two weeks in the quarter. Once the deal is announced and people see what the actual selling price is and if there are any subsidies for the iPhones, that is when the stock price should be affected. This is a deal a long, long time in the making. 759 million customers for China Mobile is a big deal. And even with a small percentage of that number, say 20%, being potential iOS customers, that is still a very big number of potential customers. Looking forward to seeing the devil in the details on this deal once it's made public. And a little update on this, China Mobile has reported that this is not finalized, uh, or they have not finalized the deal yet with Apple. 
So at this point, it is still in the rumor stage, which is fine. I think it is foregone conclusion that a deal's coming. The real question is back to the costs. Is this something that the top 5% of China Mobile users will be able to take part of, or is this something that the top 20% or 25% will be able to take part of? iPad Pro rumors of the week is that when the iPad Pro is announced, the 12.9-inch screen will support 4K resolution. Currently, the iPad Air is 2048 by 1536, which is also the same resolution as the iPad Mini Retina. And Apple would likely double that again and go with 4096 by 3072, which is better than the 4K video resolution, which is 4096 by 2160. Now, some reports are saying there would be two iPad Pros, a lower resolution one launched in April, and that the that would be at the current 2048 by 1536 specs. And then in October, the 4K version with the 4096 by 3072 specs. Guess we'll see. But when the iPad Pro is launched, if it is worse uh, pixel per inch specs than the current iPad Air, then the above migration makes sense. But it sure would be nice for Apple just to launch a product that doesn't have the best resolution possible to start with. Thanks to Russell E. for this next one, which is about failure. In this case, the failure of a weekly tablet app magazine called Encore. But what is amazing is the difference in the level of failure between iOS and Android. From the article, quote, We kicked off 2013 with 872 iPad downloads of the first edition and just 48 to Android. After that initial number, things fell away slightly for the next few weeks, and we didn't exceed that initial number for a further 16 editions. We delivered 877 iPad downloads for that 16th edition, and just 12 for Android. By now, a further learning was drawn upon us. There wasn't much demand for an Android edition. In the end, we never did improve on that initial 48 downloads. In our worst week, our 19th edition of the year, there were just six Android downloads, which was a bit discouraging, to say the least. We resolved to press on with both versions, though, and indeed, our overall number steadily grew. Our 24th edition of the year was the first to deliver more than 1,000 iPad edition downloads, and just 25 for Android, unquote. So even after the initial surge, then drop-off, while iOS eventually grew larger than the initial number, Android never did. I love this quote from the article. Quote, A few weeks ago, we quietly stopped the Android tablet edition. Nobody noticed. Unquote. Oh, snap. One thing they also mentioned in there is they started with one platform that was just iOS. They liked it. And then they switched to another that they did not like because it supported Android and iOS. And well, it is safe to say, if you're doing something for a tablet and you make any decision based around Android, you're making a bad decision. The sentiment was that they would have been much better off sticking with the original platform and just doing iOS. And well, the numbers make that a no-duh type comment. Did we mention the 40% of iPad buyers from Black Friday weekend are Android users? Just saying. 
Thanks to Tim B for the heads up on this next one, which is a really pretty graph. Well, pretty if you like green and have an iOS device. If you own an Android device, it is just a downright depressing chart. And if you are an Android fanboy, it is one of those charts you hope someone like me never gets a hold of. What is said chart? Well, it is about OS versions supported for released product. Green represents that said device is on the current major revision. Yellow means it's one major version behind. Orange is two behind. Pinkish is three behind. Dark red is four behind. And black is greater than four major revisions behind. And then they chart months and years after a product is initially released. Here is what is simply amazing. Only two kind of three-ish major Android devices out of 16 were still on the current major version a year after release. And I say three-ish as the Nexus S 12 months after release was one revision behind, but a few months later was back on the latest version, but then quickly faded after that to versions that were out of date. Also, with Android devices, 7 of the 16 were on the first day that they were released. They were one major reversion behind. And then you have 6 of them never getting caught up to the uh, most recent version. The longest any Android device stayed on the current major version, 1 year, 10 months. That was the Galaxy Nexus. The longest an iOS device stayed on the latest version, 4 years, three months. That was the iPhone 3GS, which is now just one major revision behind. Of the nine Android devices over that, two, that are over two years old, on the two-year mark, five of the nine were three major revisions behind. Two were two major revisions behind, and two were just one major revision behind. All iOS devices were up to date on their two-year mark, and were up to date on their three-year mark as well. So in a nutshell, if you want a device that has the latest and greatest software, because you know the iOS is kind of important, or the OS is kind of important on touchscreen devices, then Android is not the operating system you're looking for. By the way, the 16 Android devices are the top-of-the-line devices. Nexus's, Sammy's, S2, S3, the Note, HTC One, and so on. This chart, as the author notes, would look a lot, lot worse if you went with the lower end, more common Android devices. I do find it interesting, or very interesting, Apple definitely wants you to upgrade every two years. I mean, that's clear. But realistically, the life of an iOS device is at least four years old. What that means is that the two-year mark, if you purchased your iOS device when it was first released, it's just halfway through its life cycle. That means it has greater value for resale. So to me, this says Apple's plan to get you to upgrade every two years is to give you a device you can easily sell in two years that retains enough value to make it worthwhile to sell or pass on. An Android strategy to get you to upgrade is to release devices that in two years have reached the end of their useful life, so you're forced to upgrade. Again, interesting strategy choices by both. I kind of like going with the option where I'm not forced to upgrade, but choose to upgrade myself.
Johnny Evans has a post on Computer World titled, Apple is Winning the OS War, and he starts it with, quote, This won't be a popular opinion, but the inconvenient truth is that Apple is winning the OS wars, unquote. Well, there is one thing he is wrong about. It is a popular opinion around these parts. Essentially, he looked over that chart that I just went over and looked at the state of not just Android, but also Microsoft Windows and OS X Mavericks. His conclusion is that only iOS is positioned well for the future. Why? Because with iOS, you get uniformity of revision of the OS over the vast majority of the devices. Over 70% of iOS users today are already on iOS 7, whereas the latest version of Android's KitKat is at about 1.1% of Android users. As he points out, with Android devices, they're out of date when they come out of the box, and many can't be upgraded. Not a good thing. Android's creating a new category. It's called Instant Obsolescence. Uh-oh, Eric Schmidt is up to no good again. And by that, I mean he is communicating with the world. Google really should lock him in a Faraday cage somewhere. This time, he puts together a post telling people how to switch from iOS to Android because he said many of his friends are switching from iPhone to Android. And by friends, I am assuming he means upper management at Android, and by switching, I think he means you switch or you're fired. Hopefully, in two years' time, when all those that switch to find out their Android devices are woefully out of date and they must upgrade, Eric will be so nice as to put a post up on how to switch back. Now, one thing... Schmidt said in the post that I am sure made many at Google cringe is when he said, quote, the latest high-end phones, Samsung Galaxy S4, Motorola Droid Ultra, and Nexus 5 have better screens, are faster, and have a much more intuitive interface, unquote. Or put another way, these are the only Android devices worth a darn, and the rest are crap. I am sure the folks at HTC, LG, Sony, Lenovo, and the plethora of other Android manufacturers were not at all feeling slighted. Oh, and his comments about them being faster? Mm, yeah, not anywhere even remotely close to true. Hi Rob, this is Jeff from Arkansas. I was calling in with a tip. Uh, something I discovered uh, out of necessity one day when I was trying to get a hold of my wife and couldn't reach her on her iPhone um, oftentimes when she carries her phone, it's on vibrate or it's in her purse and doesn't hear the ringer. Um, so one day when that happened and I really needed to get a hold of her, it uh, occurred to me since we share the same iTunes account that I could use the find my iPhone feature and play a sound on that, which even if it's on vibrate, then plays a very loud, distinct ring, you know, so you can locate the phone. So she wasn't answering. I did the play a sound on the find my iPhone and at the same time sent a text, and sure enough, she called right back. And since that day, I've actually used that several other times, and it's really uh, come in handy. So I guess for those that may share an iTunes account with uh, their significant other or another family member, um, that could be a, a helpful tip. So hope things are well. Thanks for the show. Bye. Thanks, Jeff, for the tip, and kudos to Matt for this next comment slash observation about why Apple does not preload all the apps, or all their apps. Hi, Rob. I think the reason that the quality Apple apps that have gone free with iOS 7 are not automatically included in the stock apps is that they are also fairly large. 
GarageBand pages, numbers, and iPhoto take up over 1.5 gig on my 16 gig iPhone, and I haven't created anything with them yet. Adding Keynote and iMovie would take an additional gig of space, all the more reason to make the 32 gig the entry level storage size for devices regards Matt S. in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Hi, Matt. I am sure that is it. Apple does not want a 16 gig iOS device shipping with 4 gig of apps pre-installed. Makes you think you have less and less space available than you really do. That said, I don't think there should be the 16 gig iOS device anymore. Like you said, 32 gig should be the entry level. Back to the email bag. Hi, Rob. For the gentleman on episode 288 that bricked his iPhone and can't restore. I had the same problem once and was able to connect my iPhone to a different computer and accomplish a restore. If this works, then once the phone is functioning, he could try to restore from a backup on the original computer or copy the backed up file to the computer that he was able to connect to and restore from that. This worked for me once, so possibly he can uh, use a friend's computer and iTunes to unbrick his phone. I believe he needs to make sure the computer is logged in with his iTunes account and connected to the internet for authorization process to go smoothly. Regards, Brent. Hi, Rob. Regarding John's request in episode 289 about transferring iTunes credit to a new account, I think the best thing may be to just leave the account open and use it to gift apps to other accounts until the credits run out. As far as getting the old purchases uh, to the new device, they will need to set up home sharing to do that. Hope that helps. Ben from productivitypad.blogspot.com. Hi, Rob. One of your listeners called about the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth on the iPhone 4S not working. That did happen to me once as well. The switch was grayed out as it was uh, like it was disabled and nothing I did could change it. I heard that if you put the device in a Ziploc bag and place it in the freezer for a little bit, uh, that that would help, but that didn't work for me. Just so he knows, he wasn't alone. In the end, Apple just replaced my phone sidebar before I forgot. Uh, I had the iPhone 4S for the longest time, about two years, and never had a problem. But then I did one of those minor bug fix updates, and then the wireless didn't work anymore. Also, two callers had problems with Touch ID, and you asked for feedback. I've never had a problem. None, zilch, nada. I love it. Uh, one last question. Anyone else with the 5S noticing that sometimes a wireless network that you know is there won't show up for the longest time? Just wondering if I'm the only one. I mean, it takes quite some time. Regards, Dan in Orangeville. Dan, thanks for the feedback. Um, we're going to talk more about Touch ID a little bit later in the show. Uh, per the, the a wireless network not showing up right away, I've seen that a little bit, but by a long time for me, it's usually like 5, 10 seconds, and then the wireless network comes in. So I, I've never seen it take more than that from one of my trusted wireless networks to come in on my 5S. Back to the emails. Hey Rob, as someone who's running iOS 7, I can't stand using Apple Maps. The area I live in is so messed up on Apple Maps that I doubt I'll go back. It is sad, but Google Maps hasn't steered me wrong. Regards, Alex. Hi Rob, listening to your most recent podcast, and I had to stop to disagree, Apple Maps is more popular only because it is the default map. 
To make it uh, this worse, Apple won't allow you to switch this default. Trust me, I love Apple and dislike Google generally. However, Apple's approach to this is, well, very Google-like. Apple Maps is worse than Google Maps. You can't even zoom into a route. And my wife recently had a fender bender fighting this frustrating feature gap. Love the show and generally agree. This one, however, I could not disagree more strongly. Apple needs to allow choosing a different map. If there is a way to do this apart from jailbreaking, I'd love to hear about it. Regards, Tom in San Antonio. Tom, thanks for the feedback. And I don't think I said Apple Maps is better than Google Maps. What I said was Apple Maps is more popular than Google Maps, and Apple's Maps has won when you actually look at usage. Per your comment about Apple making or allowing another map to be the default map, that's not going to happen. Why? Because people might choose the Google map. And right now, Apple don't like Google so much. So I don't think you're going to see Apple allow uh, any other map to be a default map other than their map. Do I think Apple needs to improve on their maps to make it better? Yes. Uh, for me, for the most part, my use of Apple Maps has been very good. Now, I do know people call in and complain. Um, again, I'm not saying Apple Maps is better than Google Maps, but what I am saying is Apple Maps is definitely more used than Google Maps now. And from that perspective, Apple has won. Again, Apple Maps doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, it just has to be the default, which it is, and that's why it's winning. Hi, Rob. This is Josh from... Cincinnati, Ohio. I was listening to your podcast and about uh, the Apple Maps versus Google Maps, and the only feature that I wish that Apple Maps would have on it is the Google Maps feature that you can double-tap the screen and swipe up or down to zoom in and out. That comes, ex comes in extremely handy whenever you're doing something else, and I just wish that Apple would be able to put that feature on their maps, and then I would be 100% dedicated to it. Thanks a lot. Love the show. Have a good one. Bye-bye. We have u back this week as a sponsor, and that is U-Cell, spelled U-S-E-L-L, -L, who is an aggregator of buyers of mobile devices. You know you have some old mobile devices, be it the iPhones, iPads, or dare we even say it, an Android device laying around that is collecting dust. Don't be your own little island of misfit mobile toys. Sell them off to someone that will love them and use them and touch them all over. You remember how sad that Charlie in the Box was at the end of Rudolph when he thought that Rudolph and Santa had forgotten them that year? And then how happy he was and the spotted elephant was when they found that they were going to be given out to new owners well that mobile device that you have tucking away collecting dust stuck in a drawer can feel the same way and when you go to today in ios.com slash you sell you can put a smile on your face too by getting cold hard cash for example an iPhone 5, 64 gig, Verizon version right now will get you a top offer of $305. That is $45 more than the same device would get you at that company that has the name of Cheetah Food. Again, go to todayanios.com slash usell, that's slash U-S-E-L-L, -L, to 
to get a bid and sell your old, no longer being used mobile devices that are, well, your little island of misfit mobile toys. I previously mentioned I received my recap to phone recorder. Well, I had a chance to try it out, and I did so by interviewing the creator of the recap, Igor Ramos, for Podcast 411. The interview was done using the recap and my iPhone, where I called him on his home's cordless phone. I recorded the call on another iPhone in the Boss Jack app. If you would like to hear that interview, go to podcast411.com. And look for that interview. should be at the top of the page right now if you're listening anytime close to when this was released. The version I used for the call was uh, Recap 2. And that's the version that is now a part of Kickstarter campaign and just launched last week, actually, and will run until January 14th. This is a great device for recording phone calls from your iPhone or Skype calls or FaceTime audio calls. I need to get a Skype or FaceTime call recorded and put it up on this show so you can hear the quality. For now, you can hear how a phone call sounds in the interview I did. The cost of the Recap 2 is $50. Just search for Recap, R-E-C-A-P, and Kickstarter over at kickstarter.com. What I really like about this is that it is essentially a phone hybrid that plugs into your iPhone's headphone jack and allows you to record on another iOS device which most of us have now, be it an older iPhone or an iPad, and it does not require any external power supply. And the really great part about it, it is one inch by one inch by half an inch. It is smaller than the square reader. So it's a perfect companion for those that travel a lot but still need to do phone or Skype interviews when on the road. If you go to Podcast 411, you'll see the full setup for the interview in the picture at the top and also as the episode artwork for episode 229. So that's episode 229 of Podcast 411. Go to podcast411.com. Check out the interview I did with Igor, and you get a good sense of how that works. I really didn't do any manipulation of the audio quality. I could have made it sound better. I wanted to kind of get the, the full feel of it. Um, the only thing I did was a little bit of treble reduction, and I ran it through Levelator, which is what I would do to any phone recording. Hi, Rob. I found this Kickstarter project and thought you might like it. It is called Life Spot. Two words with a dash in the middle. Regards, Nathan. Thanks, Nathan, for the heads up. And this is a nice product for the IT guy needing to get a charger center set up at the office. While they say it's home or office, can't imagine too many wives being happy with this thing. What this is is a tower with multi-charging alcoves where overall you can charge eight different devices at once. Pricing on this is $65, and they have hit their goal of $25,000 with over $31,000 raised. This project is only running until December 15th at 12 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. Right now, the option is to get a tower that supports two Apple 30-pin connectors, two Lightning connectors, and four USB micro connectors. If they hit their stretch goal of 50 k then you will have the option 
also of either uh, all Apple devices only or all micro USB only devices. Search for life-spot at kickstarter.com. Thanks to Thomas for this next one, which is a post at makezine.com titled An Early Look at Cordato, the Arduino You'll Never Plug In. Okay, so if you go and listen to the interview I did with Igor, you will hear him mention that the recap is based on Arduino, which is a hardware platform similar, uh, well, a similar ilk to Raspberry Pi, except not nearly as complicated. What is special about Cordato is that you send your sketches to the board wirelessly. They, the module has a RGB LED, a three-axis accelerometer, eight digital I.O. pins, and two optional analog inputs. And what you can do with it is really dependent on your imagination. At this point, you're either completely lost or very excited. If the latter, search for Cordado, C-O-R-T-A-D-O, in the show notes for episode 290 over today on iOS.com. If the former, sorry, I will turn off my inner geek now. Hi, my name is Declan, and I just have a quick question. I have the Apple app iMovie on my iPhone 5, and whenever I open it, it opens for like two seconds, three seconds, and then closes back onto my normal screen. Now, I've had it for, say, I don't know, a week, two weeks, and I've been waiting for an update, but none's come. So I was just wondering if anyone else has been experiencing the problem of iMovie opening for three seconds and then closing. I do use voiceover. I don't know whether that's that's something, whether it's just with voiceover at the moment, but, yeah, that's what's been happening. So thanks. If anyone can help me, that'd be great. I asked Declan the following, if he had tried force quitting all open apps, then going to settings, general, reset, reset network settings. He did that and reported back that that fixed his issue. It seems in iOS 7, more so than any of the past versions of iOS, closed apps are not really closed until you do a reboot. Great, iOS 7 is getting to be more and more like Windows. Just reboot and issues go away. Into the email bag. Hi Rob, I wonder if one of your listeners can help me with a problem for which I haven't found a solution on the net. I have two exchange email accounts set up on my iOS 7 devices and they are both working fine apart from one issue. I cannot move emails between them or from Gmail or iCloud email accounts to them. Whenever I try one of these moves, the exchange accounts are grayed out, making moving impossible. My work IT department can't solve it, but said they couldn't see why it shouldn't work okay. Then they mentioned Apple Configurator for deploying iOS devices in enterprise, which they said could probably be used to allow moving between multiple exchange accounts. But when I had a look at the configurator pages, I got cold feet because I am no expert and it looked pretty complicated. Last thing I want to do is brick my device or do something nasty to my device. Does anyone out there have a solution that is simple and doable by a non-expert such as myself? Maybe I only need to follow a couple of basic configurator steps. Many thanks. Regards, David. Well, if anyone has any help for David, please give us a call, 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOON-DOG. Or send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. Back to the email bag. Hey, Rob, I really hate not knowing when I have a missed call. I can't always be near my phone, like when it's charging, I'd like to know 
if there are any services or apps to email me when I have a missed call. And if I'm lucky, maybe even text messages. That way, when I'm on my iPad or Mac, I can know when I've missed such an event. Thanks for all you do. Regards, Lewis. And then I sent Lewis an email. Hi, Lewis. You might want to check out Umail, one word, Y-O-U-M-A-I-L. They used to have a feature of emailing you when you got a message, but was not sure um, if they did that when you got a missed call as well. I believe Umail is still free. And then Lewis emailed me back to say, yes, it did what he was looking for. So if you are looking to get an email when you get a voicemail or a missed call, take a look at umail.com. Okay, last episode I had a comment and said, please send me your feedback about Touch ID and if it's working or not working and possibly why and for the not working part. And, well, here's some of that feedback. Hey, Rob, this is Dr. Dave from Syncrap Radio, and I'm calling in relation to episode 289 where somebody complained about having trouble with fingerprint ID in relation to their thumbs. And I have a similar story. I actually got Apple to give me a new iPhone after my thumbprints kept kind of, they would work initially, and then they would kind of after a day or two, they would work less and less well. So I swapped to a new iPhone to convince them of the need to do that. And to my embarrassment, uh, I ended up having the same problem with the replacement iPhone. I even tried setting all five uh, slots with my right-hand thumb. And uh, that didn't solve it either. And, yes, I'm very careful to, you know, give it all the angles of the thumb to do it all around and so on. Works fine with my forefinger. I right now am using my right forefinger, and it works flawlessly. Bye. Hello, Rob. Last week, I sent you an email about my iPhone 5S fingerprint rejection problem. Subsequently, I solved the problem, which might be classified as operator error. After you answered my email, I went to the set into the settings and touch ID and edit. I touched the finger associated with my thumb and moved it around until the finger line got darker as it recognized my thumbprint. I noticed that it was recognizing the print much lower on my thumb than what I had been using. At this point, it I did not rescan my finger. Going out of the settings and back into normal phone mode, I had no problem unlocking the phone and using the new position of my thumb. I attribute part of the problem I had with the phone having uh, this learning period of the thumb uh, print and liked the lower part of my thumb better than the upper part. The thing that was confusing about my problem was that the first few hours after initially scanning my thumb, the phone would unlock on the upper part of my thumb. Thanks for your help, Jim in Lakewood, Colorado. Hi Rob, I just got my gold 32 gig 5S and I too have Touch ID woes. Though for now, I'm going to blame it on my ever so changing thumbprint. I know it sounds weird, but uh, Touch ID worked well all weekend. However, within a couple of hours of work on Monday, I couldn't get it to work. I'm an electrician and in the industry sector, and my hands have taken a beating, so I'm thinking that the scratches and whatnot on my thumb temporarily alter my print. I've tried other fingers too, same issue. Other than that, I'm loving the new phone. Huge improvement 
seeing I'm coming from an iPhone 4S. Regards, Dave T. Hi, Rob. I wanted to respond to a couple of questions that were recently asked on the show. There was a question about fingerprint reader on the 5S. I got my 5S on release day. Initially, the fingerprint scanner would almost always unlock the phone on my first try. I live in Minnesota. I noticed that as the weather has gotten colder, my hands have gotten drier. I am having more problems with the fingerprint reader. I frequently end up with enough bad tries that it makes me enter my code. I'm wondering if the dry, cracked hands confuse the reader. There was a question about missing apps. I just helped someone migrate from the 4S to a 5S. He has iTunes backup uh, his phone from his PC or to his PC. I told him to sync the old phone before he bought uh, it in, then sync the new one when he got it home. I said that, that would take care of nearly everything and make the upgrade process really smooth. It migrated most things, but not his apps. iTunes showed no apps for the phone. It turned out he had recently gotten a new work PC. He didn't have administrative rights. Something was wrong with iTunes on his PC. It wasn't uh, signing him in. When he would try to sign in, iTunes crashed. Once he got that resolved, he was able to sign into iTunes and restore his apps. Lastly, I noticed something about the 5S that I haven't seen mentioned anywhere. I had been using Bluetooth earbuds with my 4S. I would get periodic audio dropouts, especially if I got near someone else using Bluetooth. Using the same earbuds with the 5S, the dropouts are gone. They must have done something with the 5S to improve Bluetooth. Regards, Joe in Minnesota. Hello, Rob. This is Justin from Pennsylvania. Um, I was calling in response to people having trouble with the fingerprint sensor. My mother-in-law was having the same problem where she said it just wasn't working. And then I, you know, I showed her how to do it originally, but then I had to go and she ended up setting it up on her own and she said it would work for a little bit, then it would stop. Well, I said to her, I was like, well, show me you making the fingerprint and, you know, do it, you know, delete the one that isn't working and, and let's do one together. And I noticed that she did it and it looked like she did it right to me. But then when I started watching her use the phone, she, the way she was gripping it and using it, I think she was just missing a little section. The way she normally uses her phone with her thumb, I don't think she mapped it right. So I would suggest to anyone having problems, really look at, take a survey of how you're using your phone and really make sure that way you're pressing it, that you're actually paying attention. Because, I mean, I thought when I watched her do it, it looked like she did it right. But then I'd watch her and, sh and it wouldn't work for her. So I really do think if you take a good couple, you just, just, I know it sounds stupid, but just look at how you use the phone. And, um, and when she did that, now it works flawlessly for her. And, uh, you know, she was, she really likes it now, but so that's what I would suggest to anyone having problems. Just really see how you put your finger on there and make sure you map the, map the crap out of that part of it. So, all right. Thanks. Bye. Hey Rob, this is Steve in Virginia. I was just listening to the latest episode and when you, someone called in or sent a message about having trouble with the touch ID, yeah, I had the same problem where, you know, I'll train my thumbs and fingers and everything that work fine for a day, then the next day it seems like it takes two tries or three tries, and the next day up to four tries and I'm sticking my ID in, and I delete all my fingers and I do it again. And I'm very careful when I do my training. I try to do the angles, the size, the top and bottom, and 
every time I do it, I'm like, great, now I finally got it because it works like a champ for the first day or two, and then it just goes downhill from there to the point where I have to delete it and start over. And, you know, since getting my phone, I've retaught my fingerprints probably 10 times. So, you know, I don't know what's going on. I've tried several things. I'm thinking about taking to the Genius Bar and see what's up, but it'd be interesting to know, be interesting to know if someone else has the same situation. Thanks. Bye. Hey there, Rob. It's Woody calling from New Jersey. As winter came around and my skin started to dry out, I found that the sensor was having a harder and harder time recognizing my fingerprint. And it turns out I'm not alone. The sensor is highly, well, sensitive to any sort of deformity, including, of course, water. That's been widely reported, but also dry skin, it turns out. So I love the 5S in every way, and Touch ID was a big part of my life, making it super easy to open my phone, but now I'm back to a passcode until the spring. Anyway, love the show. Keep up the great work. Talk to you soon, Rob. Hey, Rob. This is Eric in Knoxville, Tennessee, and feedback on the caller who was having issues with his Touch ID fingerprint reading reliably. I had trouble at first and I found that if I would sit my thumb on the center of the button, kind of let it stay flat for a moment before pressing, seems to make much better recognition of fingerprint then. If I just press it real fast, it will occasionally not rewrite and I'll try again and then end up getting the password screen. But if I let it sit flat, really kind of get all points on the uh, on the surface, then it seems to work the way you described almost every time. So Hope that helps. Thanks for the show. Bye. Hi, Rob. This is Jeff in Arkansas. And I was just listening to the last episode, and the caller mentioned that after they swam, they tended to have a harder time with the Touch ID. Um, I've actually noticed something with mine that uh, when I first got my iPhone 5S, it seemed like the Touch ID was nearly flawless. It was just so easy to get it to turn on. Uh, But then for some reason over time, it seemed like it's a lot more finicky. And I've almost kind of wondered if it has anything to do with just colder weather, kind of kind of colder, drier weather, and you know maybe if your hands are uh, not as not as moist or something when you first when you first set it up that way, you know I don't know. That's about the only thing I could kind of come up with that, that seems to be maybe different. But in any event, it's become a lot more difficult for me, and I usually have to uh, try a few times each time to, to get it, and sometimes I have to go all the way to get the passcode. So it is a little bit frustrating, especially given that it works so good right out of the right out of the box. So anyway, um, I guess uh, I may try re- erasing my uh, the ones that I have programmed now and, and try it over and see if that helps. But anyway, that's the problem I've been having. Thanks. Bye. Thanks to all that sent in feedback. Yeah, I've got one more of a email here to read. Hi Rob, I was listening to your latest podcast and thought I'd add a few tips that really have helped me to obtain consistent results using the fingerprint scanner. First, you're right on the mark with making sure one tries to calibrate against as much area as possible away from the center of the thumb or other fingers. Here are a few more pointers based on my experience. While calibrating, lightly place the thumb on the finger sensor and do not move it until the vibration is felt, indicating it's time to lift the finger off the sensor and gently placing it back on again. Don't get in a hurry calibrating. Likewise, when unlocking one's phone, touch and hold, I usually press the button to activate the screen, then release the pressure on the button while leaving my thumb stationary, which works well for me. With respect to those first two items, 
Too often, one lifts the finger or moves it before the scanning is complete. Once again, while calibrating, wait until the vibration before lifting the finger, and when opening in the, in the phone, lightly hold the finger steady on the sensor. Don't move or slide the thumb finger until it unlocks. These two techniques resulted in consistent unlocking for me at least 90% of the time. My phone would still occasionally throw a fit and not read my finger, but it would read properly again later in the day. Final tip, calibrate each thumb or finger at least two or five, uh, two of the five memories. I have my right thumb uh, to three of the five and my left to the two remaining and haven't had a single issue uh, or misread on unlocking since. Oh, and for a security tip, I tend to control my phone using the tip of my thumb. So when calibrating and unlocking, I use the central part of my thumb a swirl area. Once my phone unlocks, I just slide my thumb off the sensor, which wipes it clean um, of the print and makes it more difficult for someone to obtain a clean copy of my print on the phone. Hope that helps. Regards, Alini. It does seem, based on the feedback and comments other people are making out there, that the dry weather, the cold weather, is causing an issue. So if you got your fingerprint done in September, October, we trained it then, and now we get into the wintertime, it seems some people are having issues. I haven't had any issues, knock on wood. Hopefully for me, it's not an issue. It might have to do with something to do with the swirl pattern and when your finger dries out, but it does sound like the dry weather is causing some issues for some people. If you have any feedback on this, 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOON-DOG. Or send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. And again, thanks to everyone who sent in feedback. I didn't get it all on, but I got quite a bit of it up. News here. Microsoft just updated their Bing app for iPad to version 2.0. Okay, okay, calm down. This episode is almost over. You can wait a few minutes to update the app. No need to go and do it right now. I mean, first up, you don't even know what was updated, like the revamped UI to match up with the iOS 7 aesthetics, or that you can now have images and bookmarks saved in the app and synced via Microsoft's SkyDrive. Uh, or, even more importantly, you can now share search results for Facebook, Twitter, and other social platforms because nothing says oops like accidentally sharing a search inquiry for cream pie when you really were just looking for a recipe of cream pie. Or, God forbid, you went to search for um, something where you're looking for an automated teller machine, or well, the acronym thereof. Anyway, version 2.0 of the Ping app is out there waiting for you once you get through today's episode. Okay, for the rest of you that stayed around, let's move on. Thanks to all that sent in links to this tragic story. It's about another person that was electrocuted, and this time electrocuted to death, because they were using a cheap knockoff charger. This was a 28-year-old man in Thailand who was electrocuted while charging up his iPhone 4S. Photos taken at the scene indicate it was a third-party charger. Look, cheap case? Sure. Cheap earphones? No problem. But cheap chargers? Big problem. Stay with just Apple chargers. Is it really worth dying over? And don't say, well, it was purchased here in the U.S. or Europe, so it's safe. Wrong. 
some knockoff chargers being sold in the U.S. and Europe and other places of the world were the same basic chargers as the ones that killed or injured the people in China. They don't just make a few of them, they distribute them worldwide. Either get the official Apple chargers or ones that are certified by Apple. So look for that certified by Apple sticker. But yeah, make sure it's an official charger for your iOS device. Don't skimp. And really, if at all possible, just stick with the Apple ones. And I guess one other reason to stick with the Apple charger is if you ever do get electrocuted to death, at least your family will be financially taken care of It was if it was an Apple charger. Hi, Rob. Uh, this is Darren Domingos. Having trouble with syncing my iBooks between my iPhone and my iPad. It's my wife's iPhone and iPad. And I cannot, and I also have a friend that has the same problem. I went under settings and I uh, made sure that they were turned on the syncing subscriptions on both the iPhone and the iPad. And then I was reading online on the Apple discussion support forum. They talked about going into iTunes, too, and even check-in. So I went in there and checked some boxes where it said sync in the iTunes account on the PC, but I cannot seem to get them to sync in, and, uh, between the two. Or if I download something on the iPhone, it'll show up on the iPad and vice versa. So I was just wondering, um, I can't seem to get it, and I noticed that was an issue with some of those that have commented on the blogs there on the Apple support form. Hopefully you can, if you know the answer or put that out to everybody on the radio, that would be great on the podcast show. So sounds good. Thanks. Darren, sorry to hear the issues. You did the things I was going to suggest. So if anyone else has had this issue and knows a solution, give us a call 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOON-DOG or send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. Back to the email bag. Hi, Rob. I've been following discussion on making ringtones on the iPhone with GarageBand. Well, I downloaded GarageBand, made myself a ringtone, installed it on my phone, all from my iPhone. And I then go into my settings app and select my new custom ringtone. However, the next time someone calls me, only the default ringtone plays. I then go back into the settings and check to make sure... My custom ringtone is selected, and it is, and it does play. Yet, when someone calls me, the default ringtone still only plays. Has anyone else had this issue? I'm on a 32-gig iPhone 5S running iOS 7.0.4. Regards, Dave T. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. No, I thought we were done with this topic. For anyone else out there that has created a ringtone via GarageBand on your iOS device, were you able to get it to stick? Please let us know. Give us a call, 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOON-DOG. Or send an email to todayinios at gmail.com. Back to the email bag. Hey, Rob, I'm not sure if I missed something here, but is there any way to attach a PDF file within the email app like you can do with the photos and videos? It's a pain having to go to the PDF shelf and the books app to find the file, then go back to the address book because I forgot to copy the email address. Is there any app that does this? Regards, AJ. Hi, AJ. I'm sorry. You can only select the photo or video to put in an email right from the email per PDF. 
You need to go to the iBooks app, select PDF, then select the option to email it out. Now, if you need to get that PDF into a specific email that you're responding to, you can go to the iBooks app, tap the on the dock, and then uh, tap on it to email it out. And then when the email opens uh, with the PDF in it, tap uh, inside that email and select all and copy. And then go back uh, to the email that you need to reply to and paste that PDF in. So again, get that email to be created and then copy that PDF out of that email and then paste it into the email you need. But sorry, no simple way like there is with photos and videos. Back to email bag. Hi, Rob. Since my wife and I got married about a year and a half ago, she's been having issues with iCloud. After we got married, she changed her Gmail account associated with her iCloud to change her last name. Now her 4S, which originally was associated with her old Gmail account, will prompt her to sign in uh, into iCloud using her old Gmail account and password. Her iTunes account only recognizes her new Gmail address, which is odd because we have synced her phone and even restored it to no avail. Any thoughts on what's causing this or how we could get her iCloud to recognize her new email address regards Mason C.? And Mason, if it gets to the end of the show, usually I'm going to send it out to the audience. So what's what I'm doing here? Folks, if anyone knows a good solution for Mason, please let us know. 206-666-6364, 206-MoonDog, or send the email to todayinios at gmail.com. Hey, Rob, I just found the obvious solution to an issue I had for a couple of years. When I first got an iPhone, I started a long process of looking for an app to handle my Gmail. I always felt Apple's mail integration with Gmail was funky, which I am told is because Gmail uses non-standard what is, who is, it's. Uh, Before the update to Maverick, I was content to keep trying new Gmail apps to see if that was the issue. However, with the recent update to Maverick, my Gmail was more than a little glitchy on my MacBook. I ended up checking with multiple Gmail accounts Uh, in my browser and was even more frustrated with my apps for iOS 7. My solution, I got an iCloud email account. I had avoided that for years, but my crush on Google has been fading fast with the G plus integration of YouTube. And the issue with uh, my Apple mail not playing well with my Gmail. I found out quickly that I had been missing out because anything that hits my iCloud email was in my Apple Mail and iOS Mail apps instantly. This included the Gmail that I was forwarding through my uh, iCloud account. Even better, I had no idea that I could have three aliases, so I was able to delete several Gmail accounts, which helped untangle things uh, that G G Plus account switching uh, YouTube has done to my stuff. For the first time with my iPhone, I am happy with how mail sorts itself with the new iCloud rules and iCloud account. I guess Google lost me. If Apple comes up with a viable alternative to YouTube, I'd have no reason to use anything Google at all. I can't be the only one that resisted iCloud account for so long. Uh, If I had known how slick that was, I would have done it years ago. Thanks for your work. Love the show. Regards, Woolsey. Well, thank you for that feedback. 
I have not actually used iCloud for email. So that's something I have to look into. For anyone out there who is a podcaster and you are hosting with Libsyn, so a podcaster and hosting with Libsyn, I wanted to let you know for the New Media Expo, if you have a small poster, 11 by 14 or smaller, or some business cards, 4 by 6 or smaller, and you would like them shown off at the Lipson booth, email me, rob at Lipson.com. If you're not going, you can snail mail them to me. Just make sure you get them in the mail here pretty soon. Uh, and again, email me, I'll get you my address. Uh, if you are going, we can set up uh, where you bring them to the show and then uh, meet me at the show and we'll on that Saturday and we'll get them everything set up at the booth beforehand. If you are not going to the New Media Expo and are interested in getting into podcasting or blogging, um, well, you really should go to this show. <laughs> if you are already blogging and podcasting, this is the show to go to to connect with other podcasters and bloggers and learn how to better your craft. I have been to every single one and cannot rec recommend this show any stronger. Uh, again, this is a great show. It is the national show for podcasters. Uh, definitely would love to see you guys there. This next one is uh, four weeks away, Saturday, January 4th, uh, the 5th on Sunday and 6th on Monday. So when it ends, you can stay a little longer and go to CES, which is what I am doing, which starts on the 7th. Hope to see some of you at NMX or CES in January, but definitely New Media Expo. I will be speaking there, and Lipson will have a booth. Again, if you are not going and a Lipson customer, you can email me at rob at Lipson.com, and you can get your cards to me, and uh, if you have a poster, you can get that to me, and we'll get you up at the show and let people know about your show. Uh, thanks again to our sponsor today, which was Square Trade, one of our sponsors. And remember, for your iPad warranty, just $89 for a two-year warranty where you save $35 by being a TII listener. Go to squaretrade.com slash TII2. That's TII and the number two. Uh, the iPad Mini uh, 2 with Retina is extremely light and easy to take with you. And it's truly a mobile tablet. And it's thin. <laughs> and, and that means there's potential for accidents. Squaretrade.com slash TII2 for your $89 iPad mini or iPad Air warranty. And Squaretrade.com slash TII for your iPhone warranty. Also want to thank our other sponsor, Ucell. Go to todayandios.com slash Ucell, U-S-E-L-L. And you can go there to get a bid to sell your old, no longer being used mobile devices. If you would like to know when new episodes go up, look at the TII app, not just as the best way to consume this show, but also a great way to get a push message when a new episode goes live. Or there is other iOS breaking news, just $2.99 in the App Store. It helps you get the most out of the show, and it helps support the show at the same time. Plus, it makes it really easy to email or call the show with your feedback. Again, just search for TII in the iTunes App Store. And before we go today, I want to remind you to send your feedback to the show. 206-666-6364. That's 206-MOONDOG. Or record your feedback and email it to me at todayinios at gmail.com. The feedback can be a question or comment for something someone said on this episode. Or it can be a question or rant you have about something else. An app, a product review, good or bad, as long as it's iOS-related, it is welcomed. I'm always looking for new artwork to feature on the show that you've created on iOS Days. 
Just put some TII branding on it and send it in. And of course, we are looking for more music created on iOS device to play on the show. I am out of music, so please send me your music. This is your show and your feedback is greatly desired. And don't forget to check out our new moderated Google Plus community by going to todayinios.com community. And then the last thing to mention is don't forget about the podcast 411 interview I did with Igor Ramos from Recap. Go to podcast411.com. Look for episode 229. That should be the top one there. And take a listen to that. And you've got until January 14th to get in on that Kickstarter project. And I will try for the next episode to get a recording uh, Skype to Skype for that. And that, folks, is going to do it for us today. Until the next time, I'm your host, Rob, from Today in iOS, reminding you to phone different. This show is hosted on Libsyn.com and part of the Wizard Media Network. If you are looking for hosting, go to Libsyn.com, that's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com, for hosting for your podcast and for creation of your own smartphone app. The Today in iOS podcast can also be found on the free Stitcher radio app. Just search for T-I-I. Siri, who's your favorite college basketball team? I always like to root for the underdog. I guess that makes me a fan of Dayton right now.